Welcome everyone to another episode of LambdaCast. I'm your host, David Kuntz. I am a desktop application developer working mostly in JavaScript using Electron. And I'm joined by my co-hosts, Logan Barnett. Hi, I do mostly JavaScript work as a UI prima donna. And Aaron Johnson. Hey guys, I have a couple of different things I dabble in, but I'm mostly working in C-sharp and in the .NET uh, environment. Doing desktop apps or server stuff? Desktop apps. All right. We have gotten uh, emails from some of you. We definitely um, respond to all those. So if you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you, uh, corrections, things you want to hear about, please send us an email, contact at lambdacast.com. That comes to all of us. You can also leave a message on a particular episode if you go to our SoundCloud account, which you can get to at lambdacast.com. And finally, you can hunt us down in person by going to fpchat.com and joining the Slack community there. We don't run that, but we are all on there. So you can look, look us up on there. All right, so this time we are talking about the idea of partial application. And this is one of the, uh, this is probably one of the first things we're gonna talk about where we uh, go off the path of you can do this in your language. Um, so some languages you can do this for sure. But there are definitely languages that this would be pretty impractical in. So uh, this, you may not be able to just turn around and do this at work. <laughs> if you've been applying some of the things we've been talking about at work, this one is a little bit tougher in in some cases. So uh, do you want to? Does anyone want to start off with talking about what partial application is? Uh, well, I'll just just to jump in really quick, I want to just point out. Uh, this is, I gotta say, like probably the bread and butter of functional programming for me. Um, without this, a lot of things just don't seem to click very well. Uh, understanding partial application was really key for me to like get it to work. So, to you, this is a like a usability thing. I, I think it's more than usable. It's what makes functional programming actually happen, right? It, it's like you you couldn't do OO without references. Or at least I don't think you'd be able to do it very well. Okay. Right. It's it's that fundamental in my mind of a feature. And this seems like a good time as any to mention, since I forgot to say in the intro, I um, don't know much about functional programming. My role on the cast here is to kind of ask questions and be a learner along with a listener. So I have no input on partial applications, except that I'm interested to learn what it is. I guess we should say, I, I also feel like I know nothing about functional programming, although <laughs> they expect me to know something as the host. I've been doing FP for a while now, um, mostly in non-FP languages, um, but then also in Haskell and PureScript. I'm mostly doing functional style in JavaScript at the moment. Yeah. And you've dabbled a little bit in like Elm, right? Yeah, I've touched Elm, I've touched PureScript and Haskell, but all like little examples. I couldn't make anything useful with it just yet. Okay, so you're you're saying Logan that this is a what feels like a core important thing. Like if this were to disappear, it would be really important to you that it would be really significant that it had gone. Right. That's how important this is mm -hmm. as an as a tool to you. Yes. And the things that it facilitates. Okay. And the problem for people who have never experienced partial application is you're going to go, you're going to hear what it is and you go, why would that even be useful? Like that sounds completely useless. Can, can we do some nomenclature real quick? Go for it. Uh, so in, in functional programming, you don't call functions. That's kind of like an imperative way of thinking. You, you apply a function. Yeah. You don't jump to the subroutine and then return back. Yeah. 
And, and so when you partially apply, that's kind of the equivalent of saying, I'm going to partially call this thing. And that might sound really weird, but that's kind of like the best way to think about it, at least to start with. Sure. Yeah. If we, if we think, talk about, um, let's say you're in Java or uh, Ruby or something, you're, or C-sharp, uh, for example, uh, Aaron. So in C-sharp, if you have a function that takes, um, so let's say, two arguments, right? Like max, and it's going to take two numbers and give you back the one that's bigger. You can either uh, provide it with two arguments and get back the result. You can provide it with zero arguments, in which case you're sort of referencing the function itself, right? Like if you wanted to pass around the function as an argument itself, you can mm -hmm. do that, right? But if you pass it one argument, there's that doesn't mean anything, right? Zero means you're passing the function itself. Two means you're applying the arguments to the function and, and running it. Mm -hmm. uh, one, though, is just like... Syntax there. Yeah, we're talking about this is not a function with overload that's overloaded or anything like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. One that this, this is different from this, overloading. This is overloads are like completely different functions that just yeah, happen to have the same name. Similar, yeah, similar. The signature is different. It's kind of worth noting, and uh, you know, there's a difference between zero arguments and passing it around as like a reference to the yes. actual okay. function. Yes. Okay. So th that's a good point. That's a good point. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. The, I, I'm just saying there's a useful thing you can do by providing no arguments, even if it takes two. Yes. Um, and then there's something you could do if you provide all the arguments, but there's nothing you can do if you provide n minus one arguments. <laughs> yeah, more or less than all the arguments. Exactly. Anything that's not equal to two. And so what partial application is, it's a facility by which you can provide less than all the arguments. And what mm -hmm. you get back is a function that then has those arguments kind of fixed in place mm -hmm. and is a function that has an arity, meaning the number of arguments that it takes of whatever is left. So for example, we've, we've got our max function, takes two ints, gives you back whichever one's bigger, right? Mm -hmm. So it's int and int to int, 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 right? Yes. If I give one int in, it's now a function of just int to int. It now takes one argument and then mm -hmm. returns the int. Okay. The first int has been fixed. Right. And, and the significant part here is that we could say, we could bind that intermediate function to a name. So we could say, um, five, you know, if one of our, if our fixed argument was five, could we call a new, new function bigger than five and it would return, maybe not bigger than five, but it would be five or, or five. bigger, right? Yeah, five or bigger. Right, exactly. And then we could call five or bigger with two and seven and nine and 12 and 13. And we don't have to pass in the two arguments now, or we don't apply it with the two arguments. We only do the one, and right? It's worth noting, yeah, okay. you'd never actually write a function called five or bigger. You'd never, I mean, you could take add that takes two ints and pops out the, the sum of them, right? Mm -hmm. And you could you could partially apply one to that and get an add one function. You'd never actually yeah, write that. That's well, that's still more useful than five or bigger, right? Um, I I don't know. I, there's if you want to filter and you want to um, oh, like okay. let's say you have a list and you want to make sure that there every every value in there is at least three. Mm -hmm. Partially applying max and then calling max on that doing a map operation mm -hmm. on that list. I think I think that actually is a, a yeah, that's true. That, that that's a, that's a use case. With the real simple ones, at least I just found in the wild what tends to happen is you you hand that function off as you create it, right? So what you're saying Logan is you tend to not give that thing a name. Right. And then keep it around and use it as a new function that's like a super useful top-level function. Right, right. I I guess that's like like Somewhat true. I've seen examples where you do actually kind of make a new function out of a partially applied other function, and it is kind of a general useful yeah. thing. But yeah. 
Gen- more gen- more often, I think you're just. I'm just saying, like the itty bitty one, correct. something like add is like, eh, would I make an add one and put that in an export for a module or something? Probably not. Probably yeah. not. Maybe I, if you're using it all the time, right? Like if you really used it very, very frequently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thing. If you needed an increment and it just turns out you need an increment all the yeah. time, you could yeah. build increment out of add uh, and one. But, but like a yeah. great example could be like I have a list of numbers and I'm going to map over that and I'm going to increment each one. I could create my add one as, an, as a named function and then pass that to map because that works with map now because mm-hmm. map only passes in one argument to its, to its function and then gets one yeah. thing out, right? Um, what what I might do instead is when I when I apply map when I call map I will give it um, I will just partially apply inline the add function with one and then that that result gets passed to map if that makes sense and as as a real quick review map is select and C sharp um, yes it's it's one of the it just says works a list and says apply this function to every element in the list it, yeah produce a new list by uh, pa- uh, applying each value in the list to the function and taking yeah. the result and building a new list out of that. And we've covered that in a lot of episodes, but if you happen to be coming in on episode 10, there you yep. go. Yep. Good, good call. And and so this style of the way you've done these functions is known as curried form. So if you hear, hear about currying, mm-hmm. um, a function must be curried to partially apply it, if that makes sense. Yes. And um, it doesn't. So, so partial doesn't application okay. is the verb. Curried is the noun. Is mm-hmm. perhaps the best mnemonic I've got for it. A, a curried function can be partially applied. A non-curried function expects n arguments. Right. So it only cur- will work if you pa- apply all the. So exactly. Like, for example, so, every function is non-curried in C sharp. Yes, unless well, you're overloading it, which so, is not exactly the same thing. You can write a curried function in C sharp. It is very non-idiomatic, and the way it would look is this. Let's say you have a. Um, Let's say you, you're going to take two arguments, right? That's what you're, the kind of function you're writing. Okay. Because there's no distinction if it, there's one argument, right? Mm-hmm. There's no partial application for one argument. Cause if you supply one, you fully applied it. It's, that's called a saturated function. Like it's mm-hmm. received all its arguments, and therefore it provides yeah, a result. It's not partial anymore. It's, it's not partial. Full function. Uh, so let's go with the two-argument function, the max or add or whatever. Mm-hmm. What you could do is you could write a function in C Sharp that returns a func of type whatever your second argument is to, you know, whatever your return result value is. So, so basically you're, you're returning another function. So in, in like a Haskell or F sharp or um, the way it's written in JavaScript, mm-hmm. every function only takes one parameter, one argument and returns a function that then is, takes one argument, which is the second argument. <laughs> and okay. when it receives that argument then is run. And if you have a three argument function, you have a function that returns a function that returns a function. Yeah, yeah. Then and you use yes. they're, they're kind of they're kind of lambdish. They're closures at this point, right? And so they're they're pulling in the the parent scopes variables at this point. They, they can see the first argument and the second argument within the the final resulting right. third function. So okay. it can see all three of those arguments because it has a closure over them. That's correct. Um, so the, it's kind of it's pretty ugly to write in C sharp because you have to have like funks everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, in something like JavaScript, where you're not writing type signatures, or you have something like Flow, where the type signatures are a lot uh, cleaner, it's not terrible, and you can um, you can write these kinds of functions a lot uh, more nicely. And if, and then JavaScript, because you can do all kinds of metaprogramming stuff. There, this is a fairly common thing in JavaScript. So you have Ramda. So mm-hmm. if you do um, a lot of JavaScript, you'll probably run into either underscore or lodash. They're kind of 
utility from they're basically the link of javascript right they're all the common yeah. collection of things gives you map, it gives ubiquitous you, i think you know filter it gives you a bunch yeah. of other sure uh, i mean map is built in in array right. now but, but this is um, like a uniform way of handling it right yeah. Yes, and it gives you a lot more than the built-in right. stuff. Um, so Lodash is probably the the reigning king of that or queen of that right now. Um, and so uh, Ramda is sort of a functional-oriented uh, version of Lodash, which means every function in Ramda, like its map and whatnot, are curried. So you can pass in things one at a time. And because it's JavaScript, they go a step further, and they allow you to pass both of them. Like you can open parens, parameter one, parameter two to map close parens. You can do that. You don't have to do, because if you're in C-sharp and you wrote it in this form, the way you would use it is you would say, add open parens one, close parens, because it only takes one one argument, right? Mm -hmm. And then you get back another function. So you'd have to do open parens two, close parens. You couldn't do okay. open parens one comma two, close parens, because that's a function that takes two arguments. Yeah, and these are just two separate, okay. And that's, Obnoxious, right? So every functional language that that yes. is auto curried, like F sharp and Haskell and Elm and PureScript and all that, all mm -hmm. the OCamels and MLs, they allow you to pass as many arguments as you know to, to supply as many arguments as you want to. And if it happens to not be all of them, it will um, it will basically do the the change call thing for you. You don't have Just to do that. Order yourself. Order matter Absolutely. in these then in the arguments. Okay, Absolutely. so if, in you, all, if, if you if there's three ints and you pass in an int, it's always going to be the first int. Yes, and and this is why oh, you'll see um, anything that operates on lists, for example, it will almost always take the list as the final argument um, because it's it's usually I mean think of it as like configuring the function, right? And, and you're passing it mm -hmm. its configuration value, so those get loaded up first. And then the final part is the data that you're going to work with. Mm, that's that list, like you're saying. That's typically how it works. Max is a very poor example of that. Mm -hmm. So let's look at map. Let's let's talk about map or like filter or something, right? So traditionally, if you look at the map that comes from the one that's built in in JavaScript on arrays, um, if you look at that, you'll see it takes two arguments. The first argument is well, actually, I'm sorry. Um, the map that's built into array is called off of an array, so it really only takes it's one argument. Um, let's look at the map on Lodash. Yeah, it's the this is is the implicit. Let's look at Lodash's map. So Lodash's map, or underscore's map, takes the array to map over, comma, the function to, to map over each element, right? Yeah. Okay. In that order. So the array, the thing to do. The FP version of Lodash, Lodash FP, or Ramda, both of those, are the exact opposite. They take the function to apply to each argument, comma, the collection that you want to work with, the array. And why is that important? That's very important because if you wanted to partially apply something of those two things, the function or the list to, or the array to apply that function to, which one do you think is reusable? Is it the, the discrete list of things or is it the function you want to do to it. Well, I have a I have a pretty good hint here since we've discussed how order matters. I'm gonna guess that more often though you um, have a partial function or a partial application with that function that you want to apply to multiple lists. It's more likely that you'll have a increment list function than you'll have a, a do something to this fixed list. <laughs> a list that you'd need to do right. a bunch of different functions. To exactly, do fixing the list doesn't make a lot of sense. The list is yeah. highly variable. But the, right. the operation, the verb that you want to build, you want to build a custom function out of existing functions without having to write a custom like Lambda or, or function, right? 
you want to be able to just take something like, for example, uh, length. So you take the length function. It's from string to int, right? Mm -hmm. And we can take map, partially apply length by just passing in the length function. And then we now have a, you know, it, for any given list of strings, we can turn it into a list of its, right? As, as a function right. of one argument that just takes the list. Now, there's no requirement to mm. do it this way. It's just smart. And not all functions are going to present themselves in a way that makes sense to, to order them in a specific way, you know? Yeah, sometimes there's no obvious order. Yeah, like range, right? It, or whatever. And like, in, like our bigger than five example, it doesn't matter if min or max is, comes first or last. Not in this, yeah, not in that case. Sure, yeah. And there's sometimes where you, you need both of them and they both tend to vary. And so there's no... Like partial application doesn't really do much for you in that. Now, I don't know about the ML variants, you know, the, the Haskell, F-sharp, um, Elm, the, the, all, okay, yeah, yeah. all those. Uh, I don't know if they have something equivalent to this, but both Lodash and Ramda have like a placeholder argument that you can partially apply. And basically, and basically it means I'm going to apply you later. So if you really do want to get to that last, you want to like apply like some middle one, but not the first one. You can you can put this little placeholder in there, and it knows what to do. It knows how to partially apply in the correct position. Oh, I see. So yeah. So let's say that you had a function, and for whatever reason, you need you really need to partially apply the second argument, not the first. And that, that's just the way it's written, right? You just the first is going to vary for in your case, and the second one is not. Uh, you use flip. Okay. So you flip the arguments in the function, and then you partially apply it as And if normal. it's like a weird function was like got like five arguments or something, you might have to flip. Uh, that can be times. tricky. Um, you might just write a lambda at that point. Okay. So the, the reason that the Lodash and Ramda placeholder thing works is because all of those functions are internally aware that there could be a placeholder and especially accommodate it. Right. Like they had to do extra work. So that's kind of like a... Now, I know that Ramda's functions are like all of the functions they provide are pre-curried automatically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Your functions can also be curried. Uh, there is a curry function that random supports. It just takes yeah, a, and it just takes a function and then it gives you the curried version back. Um, right. I, I know Lodash has this as well, and so does Ramda. It has a partial function. This one's a little bit confusing. I Dave had to spend a long time fixing my nomenclature because of this. Uh, and partial takes like a list of arguments and partially applies them right away, but it doesn't actually curry the function for you. Yeah, that, that's probably a little off into and the it lets you JavaScript make, weeds here yeah. with the specifics. It lets you make a saturated function as well, so you could have something that takes no args and returns something. Yeah, but, but all hmm. the, okay. the JavaScript-y libraries are going to allow you to apply the function, apply all the arguments like as if it was a normal function. Hmm. And if you apply less, it will give you back the, the curried right. function. Um, or the partially applied function. Just as it, and, and in um, languages that support um, automatic curring of functions, like functions are always in curried form. That that happens. It's just the compiler does it for you. It fills that in. In right. languages where that's not the norm, you need some library-ish thing to to do that for you. So those functions are internally looking at how many arguments were provided, and then sort of doing a an if <laughs> to either run the function because it got them all, or return some sort of intermediate function if it didn't get them all. Yep. Um, so the the major um, feature of partial application is it allows you to convert a function with n arguments to less than n arguments. So there's a lot of things that like map and filter, for example, they only work on a function that goes from A to B, right? They, they take one thing in, they give one thing back. 
And it might be that you have this function that's basically what you want, except it takes two arguments. Partial application allows you to fill in one of those arguments and effectively convert a two argument function into a one argument function. Right. Being and then it's compatible with the shape of snap. Changing your signature is such a powerful thing to be able to do because now you can write functions where you don't really care about its initial signature and you know that you can distill it into something that map can consume or filter or whatever. Yeah, often that often that happens. And so, yeah, the, I would say the most common case where this comes in handy is in combination with a higher order function. I'd say that's probably like 80% of my use of partial application is I have some function that's ex expecting another function. I have this thing that I want to do. It takes, you know, the main thing that we're operating on and like two configuration values. Well, I'm going to go fill in those those sort of optional configuration values. And then the one main argument is still open. And that's the thing that map is going to pump in or filter is going to pump in. Mm -hmm. That's a very common thing to do. Does that kind of make sense, Aaron? Yeah, I think I'm following most of this. Um, yes. Hopefully your listeners are too. Okay. So if you ever wondered why, if you look at a type signature for like Haskell or Elm or PureScript or OCaml, you'll notice that they write their signatures as with arrows in between. So a function that takes two ints and returns an int, like a max or something like that, would be written int, arrow, int, arrow, int. Int and int to int. And the reason for that, once you learn about partial application, you understand why, or curried form, you understand why. Because what they're saying is this function is actually a function that takes one argument and returns a function from int to int, right? It, we read it as takes two ints, returns an int, that that's kind of what mm -hmm. it looks like or how we kind of think about it. But in reality, it takes one int and returns a function that takes one int and returns mm, an int. That's a good way of looking at it. That makes it much less like special case for that return. But that second function that takes an int, sorry, Logan, that takes an int and returns an int, needs to know, like it has access to that first number, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. And so it's not really, I mean, to me, that second function isn't just taking an int and returning an int. It's taking an int and it has this global knowledge of another, of another value. And so, sure, there's only one parameter, but there's also like this hidden, I mean, I'm thinking it's about- It's baked. Hmm? The, the, the first parameter gets baked in to the to the right yeah it's it's there and it's available I'm, I'm thinking like in my mind i'm imagining like there's an object with this property that's set and then it has a, a function on the on the property or a method i, I mean c sharp the, uh, imagine using lambdas for this so the lambdas can like reach up to their parent scope and see those variables yeah to say to see something up there if you create a new function and it's just um a, a new lambda and it just takes mm -hmm. takes in one thing, returns a thing, but it references a variable in the outside scope. You create a function mm -hmm. from like A to B, you know, int, string, or whatever. But you right. technically kind of have this other value baked in because it was in scope when you declared the lambda. Yeah. Would you consider that a two argument function? <laughs> like, I think most of the time you would just think that's a one argument function because that's you know what the that's what you wrote. Kind of, it takes in a thing and then it does this operation. But it only works in this environment where it has access. Yeah, because it was defined when it had access. It had the other variable in scope. That's right. Right. So it's not just your standard, you know, standalone static one one argument function because it has access to this other baked in property. So I, I follow what you're saying. It just, it's a little, un, like the way that that has to work is a little unusual because you're kind of right. Like you need to reach up the tree a little bit to get that other value. Sure. But it's still pure. Mm -hmm. We can still be immutable. All this still works. We're not like violating any rules here. Um, it, but it, we do rely on a closure 
to be able to maintain the access to the outer variable. And something that I heard, if you want to relate this, this kind of blew my mind. If you want to think about it this way, classes in OO, every method on a class is partially applied because the state, the member variables of the object are the closure that that method has in scope and you have to set them before you run the method. So in a sense, you have partially applied the method on the object by setting its internal state. That I follow what you're saying completely because that's kind of what I was arguing there. And so was... object-oriented programming, you could sort of think of as this slightly different an, an impure version of partial application. So I, I guess, uh, how is it pure? So let's say I have my function that takes one int, right? Mm -hmm. And it's we're, we're, we're doing the max example from earlier. And I pass in six. And uh, we have a baked in five there, but so in this particular case, it's going to return six. But if there, if that five wasn't baked in, that five was baked in as a seven, then all of a sudden it's going to return seven. So it's not pure, right? Because we're saying depending each on one what gets a new function. Uh, some other state is. Each one gets mm -hmm. a new function. Each one what? Like if you call max with seven, you get back a function, and then you call max with five, so you've partially applied it twice with two different values. You get back two distinct functions. You, so it, it counts as a whole new function, basically. It's not. Yes. You, could, you okay. could make like an add one and then an add two. Both of those are, you know, one and you pass one and two. Yeah, in that case, it works. And so once defined, it will never change, and thus it satisfies everything we would care about with regards to purity. Like it is predictable in the same sense as if the number was hard coded in there. Right, but it's we're we're saying that all of a sudden now that single argument function is just all all new function. It's a is a brand new thing. So so if you say max five, like foo equals max five. And then bar equals max three. You've got those are two independent functions. Yeah, max five and max three are. Yeah. Okay. Because they have they have unique closures, like the the scope that they enclose is mm -hmm. unique, and therefore yeah, they that's, can't that's, infer each that's, other. That seems like you're cheating there, but I, I follow you. <laughs> All right. Like, oh no no, it's still pure. It's okay. No no, it, we're gonna we're gonna say it's okay because we have unique closures. It, but it, it is still like pure. A... It will give you the same answer every time, no matter what. You could right, replace it with a lookup table. As long as you're willing table. to say, oh, well, I know that function has the exact same name. It takes the exact same number of parameters, but it's not the same function. I mean, they have different closures. But there's lots of functions that are like int to int. They're, they're not all the same function just because they're both int to int. Yeah, they don't all have the same name. Well, you don't have to name them the same. So well, max, calling... max and foo are not the same function. No, they're not, for sure. But max and max are. Sure. Absolutely. But when you oh. say max 5... You've mm -hmm. now produced a new value. That's okay. max with five baked into the first the first argument. Right, right. And so, <laughs> so if you said right. foo is max five and bar is max five, technically mm -hmm. those are different functions in terms of like probably how like the memory model works. But logically, those are the same function. Yeah. If well, it it depends though because we can't really say max five, right? Like we're always going to be passing two different things. No, no. Well, in a Korean language, you can say max five. Mm -hmm. In Elm or PureScript or whatever or Haskell, you would say. If max takes two, two ints and returns an int, you could say mm -hmm. max five and get back a new function that takes one parameter now. Right, and now you're waiting for the next one. So if we say max five, six, and max five, four. You're going to get back two example. That's yeah. Those are fully saturated, so it's just going to give it. you the result. Yeah. But um, yes, and so it, yeah, you're always going to get the same result. But we're saying, so you're saying that what really happen, is happening is you're getting max five, and then you're doing a second function of max six. Right. And I'm, I'm not trying to uh, handle this too much. But it does not. It seems to me that they're not pure, which is kind of. Well, what makes deal. them not pure to you? 
So it sounds like what we're saying with this whole currying concept is that we have every function is actually taking one parameter. Yes, that's is correct. That, mm -hmm. Is that accurate? Yeah, in a and, curried language, everything takes one parameter. Yeah. And so, we, I mean, just because the max example is nice and easy to work with. So max 5, 6 is actually max 5 and then max 6. No, right it's after. max. No, no. The no. second one has, not has max 5 baked it's in. It's map 5. It's not correct. And then you take map 5 and then apply 6 to that. You can't just max. Yeah, max, sorry. not yeah. map, but yeah. So, so it would be max, open parens, 5, close parens, open parens, 6, close parens. We're max not calling five. the max function multiple times. No, you're calling the um, function that if, gets returned in, in this, in this from, from the original max. Because max returns a function. Given, given one argument, max okay. returns a function. And that function isn't called max. Correct. That, that, that's its own thing. Yes, that's its own function with five baked in. Okay. Then I guess that makes more sense. I was thinking that we were calling max five and then max six somehow, or that's what I was doing behind the scenes. Yeah. And so. Oh. oh, yeah. No, no. It's its, its own function. If you called max five, you get mm -hmm. back a, a unique function of just like int to int. And if you yeah. called max with six, you get back a unique function that's also int to int, but it has six baked in. Got it. So in that sense, that, that makes a lot more sense because we're saying that there's that intermediate thing now. And now that unique function we get back is like the five or bigger. If we call yes, max exactly. Five. five or bigger would be the name you could give to that max five. If you were going to name it. which If you're going to yeah. name it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I guess it's not cheating then. You, you can continue. <laughs> <laughs> FP is absolved of its yeah. sins. Uh, okay, so converting functions, being able to sort of adapt them is a very important tool in the FP toolbox because it allows you to take things that you wouldn't think are, uh, you would think, hey, this is a little special purpose. I can't really use it, even though it's kind of close to what I want. And you can kind of like manipulate it using like flip or various things uh, in partial application. You can get it into the shape you want and then plug it into your map filter reduce, et cetera kind of functions. That's a very common thing to do. Um, I kind of follow. Are you saying like, oh, the function, the arguments aren't quite the right type? Like, are we saying like, oh, this takes ints, but I wish it, I wish it took decimals or, or whatever, some different number type? It's more like this thing takes a string and an int mm -hmm. and I and returns an int and map only works on things that are, you know, A to B and, and A and B can both be int. That's fine. Uh, but I need to get that string out of there. Mm, okay. So it's just int to int. Well, I'm going to partially apply the string. And then it's just int to int. And now hmm. it fits the shape of map. Because map's yeah, a very I, simple I, function, right? Yeah, and I, and I follow you there. It's hard to imagine an example where that's going to work out. Like you can, you're just ignoring one argument of the function. It's not that you're ignoring it. It's that you, like, let's say that we had a function. Um, and maybe, so it starts to get uh, interesting when you have, like, a partially applied function that you're using alongside another partially applied function. That kind of comes up a lot, too. Um, something comes up a lot for us is wanting to call map and extract a certain key off of like an object or something like that. And so what we will often do is partially apply the, um, the get function off of, so let's say you have like a pattern that you want to match. Okay. So there's, here we go. Here's something that takes a string and a string and returns a, and uh, and returns a boolean and to tell you if it okay. matches. String and string to boolean. Okay, and the first string is like your pattern that you're matching, and the second string is the string that you're evaluating. Okay, so you might pass in the first string, and it's your pattern, a regular expression, whatever your system uses, right? And you kind of fix that. And now you can use that in your map operation to, or that'd be more like a filter uh, that you could use this when you're within your filter to filter out all the things that don't match this pattern. 
it was a very simple example. You're validating a list of email addresses, right? Sure, exactly. So let's say it's a regular expression and string to Boolean. Sure. That, that's the function that you can, that, that probably exists in your library, right? Like match kind of a thing, mm -hmm. regular expression match kind of thing. It takes a regular expression, a string, and gives you back true or false. Right. You want to turn it into a, now, string to Boolean is what filter expects. So you need to get rid of that regular expression. So you partially apply it. Right. You say, you say uh, I'm going to match, and here's my email regular expression. OK, I get a function out of that. Now go mm -hmm. map over this list of things that I Or, or filter, filter the list. Yeah, over these things that yeah. may or may not be email addresses. Right, and then mm -hmm. you're, and you want and you want to filter before for some reason. I, I sure. Guess, yeah. So that's a, that's sort of a fairly simple example of taking an existing library function that's just regular expression matching. It doesn't know that it's going to be used in conjunction with the filter. It's just the function that you use to say, given this regular expression and the string, do they match? Right. Run the regular expression on the string. That's okay. a standalone function that doesn't know the context it's going to be used in. Partial application allows us to fit it into the shape that filter expects so that we can use it in that context. That does make sense. And I can, I can follow you there. I can, and, and this is maybe we're hitting that point where you, where you were talking about, like, I don't see why that's more you, it sounds like what you're saying is, oh, I can do this all in, in one operation now, instead of doing it in two operations. It's more like you don't have to write the function. The, the, the profound now. thing here is that the, the functions are composable. Now you don't have to mm -hmm. write a bunch of specialized functions that go and say, go filter this list. And I only want to get emails out of this, right? We already have filter. We already have match. Um, we can just partially apply and then we can tape all those together without having to like write new things. Does that make sense? And so what we have in the interim is like a, I, I, I have a list of, I have my list of um, strings and I have now a function that will do two things for me. I'll, I'll, like I can call this, if I were going to name this, it would be something like, return valid email addresses, addresses matching my filter, whatever my filter was, like return my matching email addresses with a name that starts after J, last name after J or something. Oh, you're talking about like taking the filter function that we've partially applied the match one and then partially applying it into filter? Is that not what you guys were talking about? Say again? Is that not what we were talking about? Did I misunderstand? Oh, you, that, you <laughs> took it one step further. <laughs> we were just talking about fully saturating the filter mm -hmm. and handing in the, the filter function, which is the partially applied match mm -hmm. and the array of email of strings. Right. Um, but you can, you can do one step more by not handing in the list, the array of strings. And now you have a filter or filter uh, you and, know, uh, and uh, validate. In this we, it would be, case. it would be um, filter in out invalid emails would be that function, right? Okay. You hand in a list of an array of strings, and it gives you back the array of things that match, that, that are valid, that passed your validation. And you didn't have to write any new functions for that, right? Match already existed, filter already existed. All you did was provide your pattern. And mm -hmm. that has an incredibly high signal-to-noise ratio. We already know how filter works, right? Like, assuming right. we're all functional programmers, we know how map, filter, fold all work, right? We probably have some other ones that are related. We, we've got those memorized. We know how they work. We don't need to test them. We don't need to worry about anything like that because they're known, they're, they're robust, they're, everybody's hammering on them, right? And we can take mm -hmm. that and compose our normal, or ordinary, everyday things that we need to use into those. Yeah, so we have less, we have less that we really kind of need to know because there's less specialized functions. Right, we're not writing a one-off function. Right. We're just reusing the existing match function in right. a new context. Yeah. You're not writing a new function that's different by regular expression alone, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And if we had a different way of filtering, like let's say we have a function that takes string to string and it just asks, you know, does this character occur in this, do any, it takes an array of strings and a string and it's your, whatever your library's version of, are any, do any of these characters exist in this string? I'm sure your library has a function that's kind of like that. Right. Right. Any kind of a function, right? Um, like an any function. Mm -hmm. We could partially apply that. And that also has the type signature of string to bool, even though that's a completely different function. And now we just take that, plug that into filter, and now we're filtering in a completely different way. You're able to get way. reuse out of a function you didn't write. Yes. Right. Two <laughs> functions you didn't write by specializing them and then hooking them together. So this glue, I think, is it gets to what Logan's talking about, where if you can't do this, you notice really, really quick. and It's like something is missing. Oh, yeah, because you start writing a lot of lambdas. You have to handwrite a bunch of special one-off functions versus reusing the existing functions. And so what tends to happen is, is that if you run into a situation where you can't partially apply an existing function, you go, hmm, what am I doing wrong? Because in most cases, the sort of space of things that you would want to do with a string or a collection or whatever is already written. Someone has written this function and you need to find it and use it versus writing a, a one-off Lambda, almost always. Um, all of us here have used Unity, the, the game engine, not the, not the Linux UI. Uh, uh, Aaron, I know, has done some personal projects with it. Uh, Dave and I have done a number of personal projects and we've done it professionally. Uh, it's all uses C-sharp mm -hmm. or, or .NET more specifically, but uh, C-sharp is kind of the, the default language in that nowadays. And uh, Dave, being the pioneering soul he is, went and tried to see, can I do functional style programming using C-sharp and do it in Unity? And he ran into a lot of problems, but I think one of the biggest ones was partial application. Like doing all this, this currying by hand is just way too much. Like it's, it just it just sapped the benefit. It's pretty annoying, it, if yeah. I remember correctly. It's a lot of work, yeah. Because you basically now you never call you never apply a function normally. You do it one pair of parentheses at a time, and the types of the types of signatures actually get pretty nerdly. Is yeah. the big problem. It, it sounds a little bit like what you're saying is like out in imperative land. Like we're cavemen with like a collection of rocks, and we're like, oh, you want to hammer something? Let me find the right rock for that. And I've got like my sixty rocks for it. <laughs> And so I grab my rock and I hammer in the thing for you. Meanwhile, you're used to like having your hammer and you're like, just want to use your hammer on, on all these different things that need to be hammered in, but I don't have a hammer. All it, it's like we have a hammer with, with a, with a detachable head. Well, maybe it's like, oh, I want a pickaxe instead of a hammer. The hammer. Well, well, we have like basic tools, right? We have Matt filter reduce and others. It's mm -hmm. not like those are the only three, but it's like when I want to hammer, instead of having like 10 different hammers, Let's let's use a screwdriver. This is a better example because this is something people can relate to. Yeah, you can have ten different screwdrivers, or you can have a screwdriver that has a tip that comes out that you can put different tips in. Mm -hmm. You don't need ten different screwdrivers. You just need the tip that fits the thing that you're trying to do, and then you can plug it into your your screwdriver. Right? Yeah, yeah. And you've so you've got like this little tool, and so I've got like my collection of screwdrivers, and I got to find my right one with my five hundred screwdrivers, and they're all over the place, and some of them are in this box, and some are oh, in man. this box. Are you saying my power screwdrivers? Like I don't have to have all twelve of them? Oh, man, it's going to be saving. That's, so that's how this works. And it, it, it may fall apart there, Logan, <laughs> in the in the real world cost of screwdrivers. <laughs> well, and and the idea here is to reduce the conceptual surface area of what we're working with. We want to reuse the existing things that we already know that work, mm -hmm. and glue them together. And partial application is, in many cases, the glue that allows you to adapt things together. 
Yeah. And in, and in this case, I don't have the screwdriver you have. Like you've got the sonic screwdriver and I've got a regular screwdriver. It, it is very difficult like to get this feeling, the, the ease of use mm-hmm. that you get in like a F sharp or whatever in C sharp. Yeah. Because you're doing the work that the compiler would have to do for you. And there's no way to metaprogram your way out of it. There's no macros. There's no like yeah, the, you could, the language just doesn't support it at a basic level. You, well, yeah, you I could probably get through it with say, reflection. Guess, yeah. If you really want to go the reflection route, mm-hmm. that's how JavaScript does it. Um, but reflection is quite a bit more painful in C sharp than it is in JavaScript. Yeah. But you could get there. I mean So saying it doesn't support it, it it's more like you you can get there. Yeah. It's just there's a lot of hoops to jump through instead of just having it handed to you out of the box. Right. It's the whole like you can do object oriented programming in C by passing around structs full of function pointers. Mm-hmm. But without a compiler there to hook all that up for you and do the V tables for you and having you know, if you want to do inheritance and it gets you know, virtual functions, that is that's some serious work, right? You're doing a lot of work to get that system and it almost feels untenable if you have to do it yourself. Um so that's why I said like it's it's hard to relate because if you haven't been in a language that gives you these benefits, it's hard to like you, you kind of have to use it for a while. Mm-hmm. What we noticed is um we switched from Lodash to Lodash FP, which is the the everything's curried and the subject comes at the end kind of version of all the functions. And people's response was, this is weird, it's wrong. Everything's backwards. It's backwards, mm-hmm. it's backwards, it's backwards. And it took about two and a half weeks and people went, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> but they had to get over that hump. So I do not expect people to, you kind of have to press the I believe button and say, I'm going to work with a system that allows me to do some of these things mm-hmm. for at least a little while and get over the the unfamiliarity aspect of it mm-hmm. um, before you start to recognize the value of the utility. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's people who, have, who are familiar with the partial application and still go, meh, I don't see the big deal. Um, but I think overwhelmingly, if you can kind of get over the <laughs> the awkwardness, what feels like awkward because it's so different from what you're used to, mm-hmm. um, you'll start to see some of the cool things you could do with it, yes. which is what we should talk about next. Okay, I'm ready. So we've, we've talked about, I mean, some cool things, of course, we've talked about reuse, but it actually goes a step further. So the subject being last is, of course, important because you want to be able to partially apply the sort of configuration bits and leave the la- the last thing open, mm-hmm. right? So it can be used as the, the map function. Yeah, the data you're going to work with comes last. But it, there's another use case that comes up where it is incredibly useful. And um, basically, you get this for free if you are in a curried subject last kind of order that would be uh, very difficult to get (laughs) without compiler support in uh, other languages. So um, what I'm talking about here is the concept of like a chain kind of a function. So in F sharp or Elm, uh, this would be the the pipe forward. It sort of, it looks like a a vertical bar and then a greater than sign. Okay. And what this allows you to do is it allows you to take, basically it's a function and, and in Lodash or Ramda, there's something called chain that does the same thing. What it does is it takes the result of a function application and it passes it along to the next thing in the chain as the next parameter. So as an example, let's think of your normal, like um, I want to filter something and then I want to map over something. And you could of course do that with um, in OO land, you would do, you use dot notation, right? Blah, dot map, dot whatever. Well, when you switch to like a Lodash or whatever, and you're calling map as a function, a standalone function, not as a method, you can't do that. So you end up with like map and then inside it, like a filter, right? It's like 
it, it gets very awkward. You right? end up with a very lispy kind of like you have to look at the inner thing. That's what get it's evaluated first, and then the outer thing next, and then the outer thing from that next, and it can be a very strange way of like, where do I start on this? Because because if you think of the the signature or something like map, it's map the function the thing to map over, right? But if the thing to map over is the result of a filter, you're going to have the entire filter operation right there in your second argument of your map. Okay. And and it gets very nested and, and, and complex. So what you can do instead is you can write a function like chain that says, I'm going to take, I'm going to evaluate the first thing in my list of functions, and I'm going to take the result of that, and I'm going to pass it as the single argument to the next thing in my in my list of, of functions to run. And then I'm going to take the result of that and pass it to the next thing. And I'm just going to keep forwarding the, the result of the previous the previous uh, function or... op application yeah. into but, the next. But wait, Dave. Function map takes two arguments, not one. Map takes two arguments. You're right. So if we do a filter, so let's say let's say the first line of our of our little chain says uh, is is our uh, email address filter that we did we talked about earlier. So we okay. hand it the function and the list of email addresses. So what do we get back? Um, if it's we're not talking about partial, right? We're not talking about a function. This yeah, is... we're we're fully applying it. We're, okay, we're handing then... it all its arguments. We're just getting back, um, I think, a list of strings. I don't remember. A new exactly list of strings that match yeah. the whatever filter we have, right? Yeah. So we want to now feed that into map. So the second line, the second uh, thing in our like list of operations, or if you're using this pipe forward operator, it would just be the the thing on the right side of that. Okay. It's it's a infix operator that allows you to take one side and kind of bucket brigade it over to the other. Okay. Um, it's the same kind of concept, but. Uh, the thing on the right side needs to be a function that takes one argument, right? Which will be the result of the filter, our array of strings. Okay. So what do we have to do our map that's on the, that's the next thing? What, if, what do we have to do to it? Because it mean, takes two, Logan said it takes two arguments. Um, it's taking, so we have our list the, of strings. The function to map over mm -hmm. each element. Um, what and are we the, trying to apply to it? Well, we're getting a list of strings. Yeah, we're getting like a list of valid email addresses or, or filters. And we want to pipe that into map. And we're using this chain thing now. How chain right. works is it just it just basically like shuffles along this list. Well, the result of the previous thing, which in this case is a list. Right. Right. And so now yep. we 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 still need to we need to say like okay, what, what's our our lambda or what's our function that we're going to apply? Yes. To, this to the list. map. Yeah. Right. And so on that means that our second thing in this chain is going to be map partially applied. Okay, with the function, but it's 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 just going to take care of it for you though. Yes, and then chain will supply the second argument yeah. because so it's the result of the first thing. It's saving you the trouble of like saying, uh, setting the, the result to a variable and then and then having that variable in there, or 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 having that variable set later. Yeah, or or putting the whole computation in the parentheses, you know. Right, right. You're, in yeah, line. you're kind of losing. You kind of have to do a space there, but it sounds like. Like you still have to do a space here. We're we we just have a bar. We just have like our little. I don't know. What, I don't remember what it's called, but our straight up and down pipe, line. Pipe forward. Our yeah, pipe or forward, chain, chain. You just give it an array of, of functions. Yeah, we, have our, to we run. still have our chains, so you still have to like this stuff is all still showing up as a single um, command. Like you can probably put it across multiple lines, but and that's what you do. You do first thing to do, comma second thing to do, comma third thing to do, comma nth thing to do. Boom, 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 mm -hmm. boom. And it just reads like, do this, then this, then this, then this, then this. Right. 
it just, it reads incredibly and clear. You're saying comma rather than than your chain operator. From so so the chain operator could be your pipe forward, or if the chain is a function, then you're mm -hmm. probably passing in like an array of functions to run. Uh, okay. in, in order, comma because you're either passing multiple arguments or a list. Okay, and that's that's like if you have more than one argument you want to pass, then you say like, okay, I'm doing this, and I want this, and then this right. is just a five or something. And, and it's an array of functions to run. Basically, is what you're you're actually providing here. Okay. And they're just going to, so you're gonna you're gonna that's gonna produce a top level function. This chain is comprised top level function that takes the one thing. That mm -hmm. one thing goes into the first function. The result of the first function goes into the second function. Second function goes to the third function, all the way down until you're done. And the result of the last function gets returned. And this allows you to build up a big pipeline of operations to do, where you're not doing any threading of variables. You're not messing with anything. You're stating on each line explicitly what you want to do. So it's like filter. Bigger, you know, valid email, mm. map, length, aggregate, you know, a reduce, blah. I mean, you're just like on each line, it says exactly what you want to do at that point. And okay. it's very clear. It, the, the signal to noise ratio is very, very high. So when people talk about FP code, they often speak about it being very dense. And this is the kind of thing they're talking about. There is very few characters that are involved that are mm -hmm. not business. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have like I'm declaring a variable here and a variable here, and then later on I'm I'm putting them all in, uh, on you know. So we're not we don't have a bunch of lines. Mm, I hadn't even realized the value of that. This so this has the unfortunate side effect. I, I think overall it's a good thing because mm -hmm. um, there's been lots of I'm going to air quote research over the years. The the quality of this is debatable, but it's been a bunch of research over the years that has um, often shown that lines of that bugs per line of code does not vary greatly per language, that, that more lines of code does have an effect on more bugs. Like okay. in, in general, obviously any single line of code we can go nuts with and, and, and make awful. <laughs> but mm -hmm. in general, in normal idiomatic code for any given language, more code is more bugs. And so having very dense code often puts you in a advantageous position of there's just less code to go over. There's just less code to review. There's mm -hmm. less code to keep, like you can have it on one screen. Now, well, it's much more complicated. It's much more dense, right? I wouldn't say it's more complicated. I would say that the number of things you are doing per line is much higher than you are used to. So it is mm -hmm. unfamiliar. Well, you're but, taking something that might've taken a hundred lines before and it's in, in 10 lines. That so, doesn't mean yeah, it's more you... complicated. It just means it's there's less noise. There's less irrelevant there's no, bits. There's not as much ritual. You're doing the mm. same work in less lines. But it's not necessarily more complicated, because if it's more complicated, then it would mean that it depends on things that are external, or it's somehow connected in ways that are right, You're doing things in the same way, or even ar arguably in simpler ways, but you don't have... But, it, but it's all happening in a very, very small amount of space, and you yes. need to understand. And I, I would say, like, it's potential... You're saying it reads really well, and so if, you're, if, if that's what you think, then, then good. Because it sounds like that might not. Like when you try and really condense things like that in a traditional language, then uh, that's that sometimes isn't a great thing. Like certainly you don't always want to do everything in the minimum amount of space that you could. Right. This isn't like code golf. We're not like trying to like write the Minimize one line Sudoku solution or whatever kind of nonsense like that. This is about writing code that is both understandable and dense. And so w one thing I will caution people about is when they go and they look at it, fairly idiomatic FP, it will seem disproportionately confusing because you're used to a certain kind of a thing, a certain kind of uh, 
operation where you're going to do a for loop and then you're going to do something inside it. Maybe there's mm -hmm. four or five lines that are in the middle of that for loop. That might be a one liner in, in when you have like fold and map and filter and you can just hook them all together with partial mm -hmm. application. And it looks really, really dense and hard to understand. What you have to, you have to sort of give yourself a break here and understand that you're looking at the equivalent of 10 or 15 lines of imperative code in like one or two or three lines of say Haskell. Mm -hmm. Don't expect to just look at it. Like you're used to just reading a line and it being fairly trivial to kind of get what's going on. Boom, boom, boom. And, and the, the, the trick is being able to like scan up and down and kind of keep track of the variables and what's going on and what are we doing here and, and the order of things. And there's a different skill here. So it will be very right. uncomfortable. It'd be very unfamiliar. But once you kind of get used to it, what it will allow you to do is once you kind of retrain your eyes, it's kind of like when you start off um, semicolons, not semicolons, uh, curly braces placement mm -hmm. doesn't immediately jump out at you. And then after you've been doing it for 10 years, like across the room, I can notice someone's like indentation <laughs> is off or that they're missing a curly brace or something. Right. And I'm not even consciously doing that. My brain is just like, yelling at me like, hey, right here, look, they're missing. A it's like super obvious. And that's one reason a lot of people don't like the syntax of like Ruby or Python because there is no closing curly brace. And now their brain is yelling at them that this is bad and this is wrong because mm -hmm. you don't need the closing curly brace. And it's so weird looking. Yeah, uh, I write in VB sometimes for various reasons and there's no semicolons on the other lines and that, that kills me. Oh yeah, yeah, that's another thing. It just jumps out because it was a useful skill to have your brain learn the pattern of, be on the lookout for semicolons kind of thing. So mm -hmm. it will be, this is a different skill. De unpacking one of these lines is different, but I don't think density is, is bad. It's not done for obfuscation, right? The way you might have a very dense line of C. Think about when you look at like mm -hmm. variable declarations and stuff, you see like, oh, this is an int and this is a bool and, and that kind of stuff. And you don't really put a ton of thought into it, right? You know what an int is. You know what a bool is. You, it's so ingrained in your that it's it's not even a conscious thing really anymore. Like all of the implications that come with it being an int or a bool or whatever are just like they're in your head and they're automatically processed every time you glance over this code, right? Like instead of ints and bools, I mean, maybe those, those still exist in FP, but now you've got map filter fold and, and some other ones that are like your common language that you use to express a lot of transformations. Right. And they just become white space almost too. like you just understand them immediately. Yes. If you're always thinking like, okay, I'm seeing map and you know, that means it takes a function and it's going to produce a new list that, you know, from the original list, if you're thinking that out loud, like every time, then yeah, this is, it's going to be like, it's going to be intimidating to look at a function like that, that has all these things chained. But mm -hmm. I think once you get more familiar with those transformations, then, you can just glide over it and understand what it, you can grok what it does. Yeah, definitely. Have we, um, does anyone remember if we've mentioned the uh, simple made easy talk that, by Rich Hickey? I think, I thought we talked about the value of values. I don't, we have, remember. we have it in our show notes for an episode. I could, I could look it up, but we talked about simple made easy and, and hard versus, or complex versus simple versus complex and easy versus hard. So we, we should yeah. just mention that w this, when, when I was giving my kind of definition of complex as um, interconnected or somehow, um, you know, related to something else that you have to keep in your head, that mm -hmm. um, definition of complex comes from a talk that Rich Hickey gave called Simple Made Easy. And I think that is a, a super valuable talk to go back to 
uh, because that distinction right there that we made is sort of the reason to have that distinction that dense density, some people might call that complexity. Um, but given that definition, which is a, I think a very good definition, um, it's not actually, it's still simple. It's just hard to understand. So it's hard, mm. but it's simple. And in the long term, simple is the thing that keeps very large applications maintainable. And complexity is the thing that absolutely strangles it to death, no matter how quote unquote easy it was to do any, you know, part of it. Right. They're, they're, he, he gives the example of uh, gem install something is very, very easy to do. He calls it gem install. Hairball. That's rather pejorative. But if you gem install whatever or NuGet, if you're in C Sharp, install whatever or NPM install whatever, it is very, very easy to do that. But the implications that come from doing that may be vast and far-reaching, and you may not realize them for a long time. It's kind of like the idea if you've ever done like Rails or you've used any of these other like quote-unquote opinionated frameworks. It, they have a lot of things that they do for you, and it's really cool so long as you're within their opinions. And if your business need steps out of that, then it's right. like, uh, wow, I, you know, Rails got me to like ninety percent of the solution, and now I'm working on the the next ninety percent because now I'm, now I'm this like at ninety percent because now I'm fighting it. Mm -hmm. So uh, valuing solutions that are simple in the long term pays off because it maintains um, the ability for you to cut and slice any part of your system at any point because it's built out of Lego bricks the whole way through. Like it's Lego bricks, the top to bottom. And part of this, if you think about um, partial application in that context, partial application is a tool to help you maintain simplicity. It's the same system everywhere. Every function takes one, one argument. They can be composed. You can change the shape of them so that they fit together easily. It's like partial application is like the adapter brick in your Lego to turn a Lego that doesn't quite fit into the Lego that does fit. Like I have a three by, I have a three by two brick but it really, I, I just want to add a one by two brick. Well, I'll take this two by two brick and just stick it on there. And then right, the I two, found this two by two brick. I'm ready for it. Yeah. And now a one by two brick completely fills up the top of it and it's smooth again because I had already put the two by two brick on there. And it's a little bit like, it sounds like what you're saying too, is since you can save them, it's like all of a sudden, if you wanted to, you could have a whole collection of those, you know, three by three with a little tiny brick, brick on top that's just waiting for your little, little brick. Different variations. One by two yeah. bricks. Here's the yellow yeah. one and the blue one and the green one and the. Yeah, so we have a whole bunch of those, then all of a sudden, no, oh, okay, well, I'll just make this little pattern that just takes a little one by two brick and fit all the one by two bricks I and have. And now they fit up nicely the way you want. Okay, the last thing we might want to just talk about real quick is um, when people talk about OO and FP, they often want to translate their patterns. And uh, there's a great talk that we should link to um, by Scott Vlashen, where he relates OO patterns to, he, he relates OO patterns to FP patterns. And he somewhat uh, facetiously, although it's it's kind of not, he has like the whole list of OO patterns and it's like adapter pattern, facade, visitor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And on the right side, it's the FP equivalent. And it just says function, functions, functions, functions. It just functions all the way down. Like we can do all this with just regular functions because we have partial application. It's easy to compose etc. Like all these things that in OO are kind of their own concepts are just functions. We're back to our multi-useful useful screwdriver. It's kind of great. If you're a very visual thinker, that's a really great talk to see. He uses like these little like railroad blocks to, to show like... That, that one's actually different. Oh, that's that's a different one? railroad-oriented programming. Yeah. That's about error handling. Um, which if you want to... Uh, that's basically about like maybes hmm. and either's, like handling errors. But yeah, you know, like he gives great talks. of like... 
I don't have this one, but I get this one. And so, okay, we can. He may reference yeah. it. He may use that same reference. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get that in the show notes. Uh, but one thing that I know Logan wanted to talk about was at least the, um, the area of OO, which is dependency injection. And this comes up a lot, right? There is dependency injection for a while was like the thing in OO, right? You had Spring and you had all these like big Java frameworks that were all about DI. Like that was the thing they did. Yeah. Sometimes it's called inversion of control. And the core concept here is that instead of you reaching out and getting, uh, going and fetching yourself a database connection, you call some singleton object or static uh, method and to get your database connection, that the database connection is in some way uh, pumped into your object through its constructor or a property or a, a setter or whatever it is. And uh, Logan, I know you like this example because it's a good example of partial applications. Yes. So the, the, the beautiful thing about knowing that you have partial applications as a tool in your tool belt is you can now make functions that take absolutely everything they need. And um, that, that can mean like, well, I want to be able to you know, have a function that goes and does some SQL on the database, right? And so it needs to have a database connection function of some kind that just goes and says, run this query. And it needs to be able to have like a SQL string. And then it needs to be able to have like parameters that can be you know, um, applied to that SQL string to substitute in for the, you know, the question marks that you put in or whatever. And you can, you can use these to build very specialized functions, such as I want to update a user's email address from that. But you don't actually have to go and write the function that does that. You, you wrote the function once that says, go do some stuff in SQL that's very generic and, and brings in these things. And you can just partially apply your way into that state that you want to be in. So the first argument of that might be the database, the function that runs a query on right. the database. That might be the yep. first argument. And the second argument might be the uh, query string. And then the third argument might be the parameters to be interpolated into the query right. string. Does that sound about right, the right yeah, order? Yeah. And so at a very high level where you have the, all the information you need, like you've loaded your config file and you know about all this stuff, you might take your generic you know, make query function and plop in the database connection function. And now you have a function that just takes the string, the query string, and the array of arguments to be interpolated into that string. So you've made a new function that doesn't know how it's going to talk to the database, but can talk to the database, right? The database connection is no longer an argument there but it's been supplied. And you pass this down to a different layer of your application that's more um, domain specific. Right. And, and the, the, the really like, crazy thing that comes out of this is this like weird, like, you know, if you've got this in your mind, this pyramid of how your application's built, where right. your main essentially is like the most generic level where you basically just go, start my app, load my configuration, start my app, uh, do the main loop, whatever mm -hmm. it is it's gotta do, right? And if you were to follow your, your stack trace down, you'd find that like as you move down the stack, you get more specific, right? You, you know, yeah, your pyramid is the, the tip of the pyramid is the start of the application, right? right? It's the least domain specific. You're starting from the base. You're, start, you're starting from the, the very, very, very right. tip. And it's, it's the most vague, right? Because it is something like vaguely load my config and then vaguely start you know, the application, whatever it is that you need to do to, to kick it up and running. Right, but but at the very bottom, you know, maybe you're touching your ORM for your model, and it's you know, it's got to go make change a specific thing in the database, right? When you start doing these partial application things, it's actually like completely backwards. Like the first thing that you wind up doing is like setting up these 
these functions, you prepare them, and then you throw them down into the bowels of your application. And the the, the very the very bottom of your or the very like extreme of your stack, you're just calling a function, and you don't really know any of the details of like I don't know that I'm updating something in a database. I just have an update function that just takes the data I need to update. That's it. Yeah, I mean, you, you probably know it's touching a database because it's you know as, and... as as the engineer that's writing it, but but like at that layer, you don't really need to be aware of that. If it's just like yeah, you don't care. You don't care how it knows how to talk to the database. Or uh, it might like be that. an asynchronous operation. Okay, it takes the data that you want to update and it returns back to you a promise, right? Sure. Like you can work with that, but what takes data and returns promises? Well, anything. It could be a database. It could be. It could be read into a JSON file. Yeah, you could you could easily swap that out. The thing that it's using behind the scenes. It makes it stupid easy to test too. Because now, now your function over here doesn't need to know about the database. It just knows that it has a function it just needs to call. Right. And as long as your database connection is working, then you don't have to worry about that whole section. Well, and so. No, you could pass it like a, a, a fake function just to test it and just oh, say, I hey, mean, did I get the data I was expecting? I mean in the application. Like your, right. all of your application is using that same database connection. So as long as, as, long as that's working, then... Yeah. Or, could you, or there could be different database connections. Sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read data from this one and then put it into that one. Yeah. And and you said that like if you're a Russian hacker, you said uh, Logan that at the top level you kind of prepare all that. I actually think it's it can often be a slightly more um, broken out than that. Like at the very top level, you you get your database connection. Right. That's where you're kind of doing your reading your config and connecting your database and all that. Right. So you have your your talk to my database function and you stuff that in. Okay, so we've partially applied that. And at the next layer is where you prepare your specialized um, functions like update user yes. or update emo. And this is why I see it as a as a pyramid, right? Because now now you're going from like most specific to least specific. Uh, other way around, least specific to most specific. Because at the bottom you're gonna be very specific. Now I'm gonna hand down to the lower layer the function to run, which is the update email, and that's gonna be called as a result of you know whatever user interaction. Right. I guess I'm saying in my mind it's not specific because it doesn't know that it's updating a database record. It doesn't I, know. I was saying specific because we've gone from run query to update user email. And the update user email is very domain specific in that sense, but it right, knows right. the least. The partial applied application. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't know the yeah. query it's running, and it doesn't know the database connection. Yeah. And, and the nice side effect of this is like at the very bottom, you're mm -hmm. expressing your business rules quite yes. succinctly. All of the sort of technical underpinnings right. have been partially applied away out, <laughs> and all that's left is update right, email, right. update user email. And you're just like, yeah. okay, I need to provide the user and the new email and, and it, it runs and it does its thing. Done. And of course, you can look under the hood yeah. and see what's happening, but you kind of don't have to worry about it anymore. You can kind of move down that. Another example of this would be, let's say you're doing localization uh, in a desktop application. So at mm. the very top level, you're going to go and read your config and you're going to figure out what language they've got themselves set to. And so what you could do is you can have a translate function and it's a pure function, right? So it takes a dictionary for that language of keys to strings. Right, so some sort of, uh, maybe it's a string for the key, maybe it's a symbol if you're good at language like that, but something like that, right? A lookup table for, mm -hmm. your, for your strings in your application. And so this translate function takes two things, the dictionary and then the string to look up in that dictionary. And I can partially apply the dictionary for the language that we have loaded and then now pass around this translate function down into the bowels of my application. And the rest of the application doesn't care where the dictionary come from. Mm -hmm. It doesn't care what language we have loaded. It just knows, hey, I got this translate function. All awesome. I have to do is pass in the string, yeah. you know, the, the, the key I need, 
and, and get back. It takes a string and returns a string. Hey, we can pass this yes. to map now. And that's a very right. simple example of this idea of specializing something so that the lower layers just don't even need to worry about it, even though it's still a pure function. It does make sense as a as the as our resident newbie. I, I follow what you're saying. Excellent. And that's kind of it. I think at this point, it's like if you're not convinced, I don't know that we're going to convince you. You just have well, to go out and try to start using correct. this. And the easiest way. Um, it's not necessarily that. There, I mean, right now is okay. If you're interested, go try it. Is I think maybe a better way to say it because I'm not convinced right now. I'd have to I'd have to try it. Sorry, I mean convinced to at least go give it a try. Oh, okay. What I'm saying is I don't think you're going to get any more convinced by hearing about this. I think you. the next step is you have to kind of just try it on, like work with it. And the easiest way to do that is definitely in JavaScript land. So if you were using Lodash, try to start using Lodash FP. And if you are just choosing from, from uh, the ground floor, start with Ramda. Ramda's documentation Josh. is much better than Lodash's <laughs> FP's uh, documentation. It's also like very informed by uh, Haskell and friends. Yeah, and you could argue that it's too informed by that for its own good. In some places, it can be a bit uh, what looks like strange and not particularly relevant to JavaScript. And just know that there's a lot of Haskell-isms that have been brought in. And feel free to just ignore anything that doesn't make sense. Just ignore it. Any closing thoughts? I'm tired. That was tough. Yeah, this is this is definitely off the beaten path quite a bit. So to all our listeners, if this isn't clicking immediately, do not worry about it. Give it a go. Maybe maybe take a break and give it another go. Try writing some stuff in this form. And I think once you start chaining some things or getting getting map filter reduce starts to get really familiar, uh, you'll start to see places where it, it's pretty cool. And your code really is very expressive. All right. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. And thanks. we'll see you next time. <laughs>